Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. Let me read God's word for us. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you, our good Father, for giving us your Son and giving us your Holy Spirit to empower us and strengthen us so that we might do your work and we might know you all the days of our life. We do ask that your Spirit would give us understanding this morning in your Word. You'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive all from your Word, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, God, be pleasing in your sight, O God. In your Son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last week I was on a walk with my three-year-old. And she turned the wrong way on her bike and and she ended up losing control and took a hard fall and landed right on her chin. And her chin split open a little bit. And she's quite a brave little girl. We took her right in to get some medical care and they put some medical glue on her chin to bring it back together. And she was running around the next day around here at church. But she's going to have quite the scar and she's going to have quite the story to tell. Over the last week, though, there were some consistent responses that I got from people as I was talking about that or people were coming up to me. One of them was this, as they were talking about just scars, they said, well, it's a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage where they would then, after that, they would come up, they would show me their their chin and say, hey, it happened to me when I was a little kid. I remember it's a rite of passage for kids to, to get a little scar on their chin. Second thing was this, it's the first of many. It's the first of many. And I said, they're probably right. (laughs) There's going to be many falls. There's going to be many pains. There's going to be many scars that will come in life. And different types of scars will come. Different falls, different pains, different losses. Relationships and family and job and money, hopes and dreams and desires, injustices. Pain and loss, they're, they're, they're a part of life, and they leave scars. And people, they were quick to point out the scar on their chin from their, their first fall, but the reality is, is as we go on in life, there, there becomes more and more of a difficulty for us to show one another our scars and talk about our scars. We often tend to hide the scars in our life that we have now, and we tend to hide the pain and we're not quite sure what to do or how to think about the wounds that we have and if we went down the the pews here and we talked to one another I wonder how many scars on your chin we would have here represented but 
How many scars beyond that would be here in this room? What wounds would there be? What pains are you sitting under this morning? This summer, we're, we're reminded in a very strong way about the reality of the bitterness of life as we experience pain and as we experience loss. And Naomi, our, our main character, she has some deep wounds that she has experienced, and they're leaving deep scars in her life. And for Naomi, just like us, the pain of life is, is leaving her with this, this bitter taste, and she's wondering if God has abandoned her or if God is against her. But the beautiful thing about our passage is that Naomi gives us a voice. She gives us a voice that we need to hear. It's a voice to those who are experiencing pain and loss. She gives a voice to the weary and to the worn and those feeling bitter. And how comforting it is that the Bible does not shy away from the difficulties of life because that is where we often are in our lives. And so today, with Naomi and with Ruth, we enter into Bethlehem, and and there's a voice that we need to hear. It's Naomi's voice. But it's not just a voice that we need to hear. There's There's a vantage point that we need to see, and it's the narrator's vantage point. And so hopefully, as we hear this voice and as we see this vantage point, the reality hopefully will be for us is that we can learn how to face the bitterness of life. So whether you're here this morning and you're experiencing this bitter taste or maybe you're needing to be prepared for that in the days and months and years to come or maybe you're walking alongside somebody in your life who has experienced pain and has experienced loss. This passage this morning, it's pointing us to the sovereign hand and the sustaining goodness of God that is at work for us even in bitter times. So where are we in the story so far? If this is maybe one of your first few times here at College Church in the book of Ruth, there was a man from Bethlehem during a time of famine. He takes his wife and his two sons and he goes to the land of of Moab, a land where there was a foreign god. It was a foreign land and tragedy strikes while they are there. Elimelech, the father, dies. And her sons marry Moabite women, but both die as well. The sons do. And so Naomi In the midst of her pain, she hears that God has visited the people in Bethlehem. So she packs up and she takes her two daughters-in-law and goes on this journey back home. They return, but Orpah, in the middle of it, chooses to go back to Moab, to go back to her gods and go back to her people. But Ruth, as we heard last week, she counted the cost and she committed herself to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and to the Israelites, God's people. And so Ruth and Naomi, they take the long road home and they come to Bethlehem. And they enter in this rugged and dangerous journey and they enter in weary and worn from that long journey but more they're weary and worn from the loss that they have experienced in their life. They're filled with exhaustion. They're filled with tears and they enter into Bethlehem. Can you imagine what was going through Naomi's mind as she walks through the streets again and the memories start to fill her mind, the familiar places, the familiar homes, the familiar people. And she can picture times with her family in the years past, but things look very different for her now. 
And the town, as they see her and they see Ruth, the town is stirred because of them. Verse 19 tells us there's a buzz around town. There's some excitement. She's back. But there's a visible difference in Naomi. You know, you can Google pictures of some of our presidents who have served for multiple terms, eight years, and you see a picture from year one and you see a picture from year eight, and there is a big difference between those pictures. They look weary and they look worn. The effects of the stress of that office that has weighed on them. How much more for Naomi? She's been gone for at least 10 years and has had much loss and pain, and it shows on her face. Is this Naomi, they ask? Is this Naomi weary and worn, beaten down, many tears? But the trajectory of the story is that she has come to Bethlehem. She enters in, and so we get to enter in with her. Now Naomi overhears this question that that the people were asking, the the, the town was, was asking these women, and she's aware that she's looked lost in the face, and there's nothing that is hiding it. And so she responds with one of the most real and raw statements in the Bible. She provides for us a voice that we need to hear. First, what do we hear? We hear her honesty about life. What does she say? She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant or sweet, and and Mara means bitter. Naomi speaks about life as it really is. It has not been pleasant for her. It, it has been bitter. There's this movie called The Cinderella Man. It's about a boxer who makes a comeback during the Great Depression. And there's this one scene where the wife of James J. Braddock, the boxer, she goes to visit his boxer, boxing manager. And she walks up into this expensive apartment complex and she's fed up with the boxing manager because she thinks he's living in a life of luxury and a life of riches while her family is living in poverty. And so she walks up to the door and she expects to to walk into this luxurious apartment filled with great furniture and luxurious things. She walks through the door and this great huge apartment is absolutely and completely empty. There's nothing in there. The Great Depression had hit them too. And they sold everything. And the wife said, "I I didn't know. And the manager says this. He says, that's the point. You just don't want folks to see you down. Always keep your hands up. They didn't want people to see and know that they had experienced great loss. And so they keep their hands up. Not so with Naomi. What you see is what you get. She does not hide. She does not cover up her pain. She does not minimize her pain and her loss. She does not pretend she is honest about life. And she gives voice to what we so often experience. She's not keeping her hands up. Friends, Christianity is not about pretending that we have it all together. Naomi has been hit with bitter loss and she feels the weight of it and she is real about it. She gives us an honest voice and it should give you all here, us as the community of faith, a freedom to speak about our own real pain and raw pain and not hide it. Friends, are you, are, are you keeping your hands up today as you walk into church, wanting the exterior to look like you have it all together, but while the truth is on the inside, you've been hit by the bitter realities of life, Christianity gives us freedom to be honest with each other, 
And the church should be a place where we do not have to hide the pains that we are experiencing, but we can speak to life as it really is, just as the Bible speaks to life as it really is. Well, Naomi is honest about life, but she's also honest about God here. And as we listen to what she says about God and and God's activity in her life, there are some things that that, that we want to say yes to, and we should say yes to some of what Naomi says, but there are also things that we should say no to and resist some of the temptation that it leads Naomi down. But first, what do we say yes to in her reply? Well, we say yes to her emphasis on the sovereignty of God. She's stating here that, that God is king. He rules over all things, including the details of her life. The Lord God, the Almighty, has been active. He hasn't been, been absent. The Heidelberg Catechism put it, puts it this way about God's sovereignty. His almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, Food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Is, is Naomi right about this? What are, what are we to make about this statement, these words that she's speaking? Well, Naomi points to the sovereign hand of God that's spoken throughout the scriptures. Think about Joseph in the book of Genesis, who's experienced injustice suffering, pain, and loss at the hands of his brothers and many others. But at the end of his life, it's summed up in Genesis 50, as he looks those brothers in the eye and he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Or not just Joseph, think of Job. He went through unimaginable pain and suffering and loss. And in his brokenness, He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the next verse says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. The Lord's hand is is sovereign over all of life and he is ruling at all times. And this is a mysterious reality that we do not have all the answers to or do not know fully. We're not privy to how this happens or why it all happens. But there's something that we want to affirm with Naomi's words, but there's something that we should not affirm with Naomi's words. There's a yes, but there's also a no. While Naomi is speaking to the sovereignty of God and God's sovereign activity in her life, it leads her to think that God has abandoned her or is against her. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty, testified against her, brought calamity upon her. The hand of the Lord, in verse 13, is against her as we taste the bitterness of life, it can cause our hearts to become bitter towards God as well. And we start to feel as though God is against us. God has, has abandoned us. But I love that the scriptures do not condemn or do not disregard what Naomi has said or her feelings in the midst of her pain. But sitting under the bitter realities, understandably, her vision of God's continued activity is, is cloudy. Pastor John Piper, he says it this way. It says, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory. It is more like a dark and, unseeming, and seemingly unknown trail through the mountains where the rock slides and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backward in order to go forward. 
God not only reigns in all the affairs of men, and not only is his providence sometimes hard, in all his works, his purposes are for the good and happiness of his people. Naomi points to the sovereign hand of God, but we must hear that this sovereign hand is not against but for God's people, those who know him, those who follow, those who have trusted him. And friends, I need to sit for a moment as, as your pastor and acknowledge that this is not an easy truth to receive. And I know that there are many of you this morning who are under the weight and under the pain of a lot in your life. And you hear these words about God's sovereignty and it seems to, it seems to hurt. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. And, and you're right, I, I haven't. I don't know. And it has grieved me because I think about some of the pain that you all go through and experience and the weight that you sit under and the questions that you have. And we love you and we care about you and we know you have questions and I have been praying for you this week. And I know the scripture says in Romans 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I've prayed that the Spirit would minister to you this morning. As you sit under the weight of pain and you hear this word about the sovereignty of God and questions are coming up and rising up in you. And I've prayed that these words would not push you away, but draw you closer to God and cling to him. The Spirit of God is interceding on your behalf with groanings too deep for words. And Jesus, the Son of God, himself was one who suffered like us. He was met with the pains of life. He tasted bitterness and he tasted death. He tasted pain and he knows our loss and he knows our pains. He is fully God and sovereign and he is fully human and he knows our suffering. His death was part of God's sovereign plan to bring about good for God's people as Acts 2 tells us. And also on the cross, Jesus himself cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that all who trust in God would not be forsaken, would not be abandoned, would not be turned away. Poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning once wrote this, Yea, once Emmanuel's orphan cry, his universe hath shaken it went up single, echoless. My God, I am forsaken. It went up from the Holy's lips amid his lost creation that of the lost no son should use those words of desolation. God's hand is sovereign over us, yet he does not abandon us. He does not abandon those who turn to him in faith. And it's because Jesus himself was forsaken that we would not be. Not only does Jesus know your pain, but he was forsaken for you. And so I acknowledge, I know that many of you sit here with questions and concerns and, and you don't have it all together and that's okay. The Bible gives us a voice, Naomi's voice that we can learn from about the honesty that she brings and about God's sovereignty 
But the reality is that God has not abandoned his people. And maybe you're sitting here and you don't know Christ. You're not in relationship with the living God through him. Maybe the circumstances you are going through are actually something that that God is using to lead you to faith in him, to become one of his children. Well, friends, Naomi gives us a voice to the pain and loss that we experience. But there's also a vantage point. There's a vantage point that we need to see. Naomi talks about the sovereign hand of God, but the narrator talks about the sustaining goodness of God. Let's see that vantage point in verse 22. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What do we see here first? It's just a, an observation. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Well, what does the narrator say right away? The narrator calls her Naomi. She is never called Mara in this book. There's a vantage point that, that she might not be experiencing, but the narrator's pointing to this reality that, that even though the experiences in her life might shape her deeply, they do not ultimately define her. Her name, this vantage point. But more importantly, what we see, the emphasis I I think that is being pointed here is Ruth. Is Ruth. Ruth has come with her. Naomi says, the Lord has brought me back empty. She has lost much. But she has not lost all. And in fact, she has come back with, with Ruth the Moabite who is with her. At the end of the book, the the women appear again who are just described in this passage and they describe Ruth as one who is greater than seven sons, like seven sons. Simply saying, Naomi is not alone. She has Ruth who has committed herself to her. Ruth left the security and comfort and the rest in Moab to commit to God and commit to Naomi. Ruth clung to her. Ruth was with her. The vantage point that the narrator wants us to see is that God uses his people as a provision for us during our pain. The community, the local church, is to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. And if you are weeping here this morning, and you are mourning here this morning, we want you here And God has sovereignly brought you to this place that you might know the provision of the family of God. But as I make that statement, College Church, we need to do some evaluation and do some thinking about our own lives. We've got to ask ourselves this question. Are you ready to be a Ruth to those who are in pain? Are you ready to be a Ruth? Well, what did Orpah and Ruth do? They wept with Naomi. They cried with her on that journey. Orpah left. It wasn't just the tears that Naomi needed. Ruth clung to her. Ruth committed to her. Ruth walked that lonely journey with her. Not only the tears, but the commitment over the long haul of her life. Are we ready to be a Ruth to one another in the pain and the suffering that we experience? Because God has provided the family of God for one another as we go through the trials of life. So if you're suffering here this morning... This church has been called to enter into your life. But as the church, we need to receive this word to say, are we ready to be a Ruth to one another and commit and to cling and to care even through the difficult times? Ruth, 
this vantage point. But secondly, barley harvest. The last two words. What a great reversal from the beginning of chapter 1. Famine. And now there's a barley harvest. The Lord has visited his people. The harvest has come. And the barley harvest was, was in spring, which was meant that there was plenty of time to start to gather the food that they need. The Lord's sovereign hand was at work. And the barley harvest reminds us that the sustaining goodness of God was still at work and ever-present, even if it was hard to see and to feel. Now, food is an immediate provision for Naomi and Ruth. But the barley harvest, it hints at something bigger, something greater that is coming. The one who will meet Ruth in the barley fields, the Redeemer, Boaz. Many of you know the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And, and Mr. Beaver says this. He says, they say Aslan is on the move. And the book says, at the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Well, friends, Boaz is on the move. He's coming. The Redeemer is coming for Naomi and for Ruth. And for us today, our Redeemer has come, Jesus Christ. But our Redeemer is coming again, and He will come for us. He is on the move and in your pain. You may not see Him or feel Him, but hear His name, Jesus Christ. And may God make your heart jump. And may God strengthen your heart and help you, not just to see His sovereign hand, but His sustaining goodness. His goodness, which was seen at the cross, ultimately his love that was demonstrated for us at the cross where he sent his son to suffer and to die for us and was raised to life for our eternal life. This is God's ultimate sustaining goodness, the love of Jesus Christ at the cross. So hear these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, have you come this morning with scars and with wounds? Well, we can be honest about the pain that we are going through. And the church is to be a place where we can do that. Do you have questions? You are not sent out. If you have questions and concerns about God, we welcome you in. We want you here. Yes, God is sovereign over all and he has a sovereign hand, but it's not against those who love him. He's ultimately sustaining those in his family. God's given us a people. Are we ready to be a Ruth to one another? But ultimately, God has given us a redeemer who is coming again for us. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we ask that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would minister to us in our pain even this morning. Lord, we don't have all the answers, but you've given us your word and you've given us a voice in Naomi that we need to hear and respond to, but you've given us a bigger picture 
of all that you are and all that you are doing. May, may you help our hearts to jump in the reality that, that you are active, Lord. You are on the move. And we love you and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.